0: Chapter fifty five of Little Masterpieces of American Wit and Humor, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Seela. Little Masterpieces of American Wit and Humor, Volume One. Edited by Thomas Lansing Masson. The Diamond Wedding. Written by Edmund Clarence Stedman. Oh, love, 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 what times were those? long ere the age of bells and bow and brussels lace and silken hose when in the green arcadian close you married psyche under the rose with only the grass for bedding heart to heart and hand to hand you'd followed nature's sweet command roaming lovingly through the land nor sighed for a diamond wedding so have we read in classic ovid how hero watched for her beloved impassioned youth leander she was the fairest of the fair and wrapped him round with her golden hair Whenever he landed, cold and bare, with nothing to eat and nothing to wear, and wetter than any gander. For love was love, and better than money, the slyer the theft, the sweeter the honey. And kissing was clover, all the world over, wherever Cupid might wander. So thousands of years have come and gone, and still the moon is shining on, still Hymen's torch is lighted, and hitherto in this land of the West, most couples in love have thought it best to follow the ancient way of the rest, and quietly get united but now, true love, you're growing old, bought and sold with silver and gold, like a house or a horse and carriage. Midnight talks, moonlight walks, the glance of the eye and the sweetheart sigh, the shadowy haunts with no one by, I do not wish to disparage. But every kiss has a price for its bliss in the modern code of marriage, and the compact sweet is not complete till the high contracting parties meet before the altar of Maman, and the bride must be led to a silver bower, where pearls and rubies fall in a shower, that would frighten Juniper Amon. I need not tell how it befell, St. Jenkins has told the story over and over and over again, in a style I cannot hope to obtain, and covered himself with glory. How it befell one summer's day, the king of the Cubans strolled this way, King January's his name, they say, and fell in love with the Princess May, the reigning belle of Manhattan nor how he began to smirk and sue and dress as lovers who come to woo or as max meredzik and julian do when they sit full-bloomed in the lady's view and flourish the wondrous baton he wasn't one of your polish nobles whose presence or country somehow troubles and so our cities receive them nor one of your make-believe spanish grandees who ply our daughters with lies and candies and tell the poor girls believe them no he was no such charlatan count de hoboken flash in the pan full of gasconade and bravado but a regular rich don rataplan santa claus de la Mascavado, Senor grandissimo bastinado his was a rental of half havana and all matanzas and santa anna rich as he was could hardly hold a candle to light the mines of gold our cuban own, chock-full of diggers and broad plantations at in-round figures were stocked with at least five thousand niggers gather ye rosebuds while ye may the senor swore to carry the day to capture the beautiful princess may with his battery of treasure velvet and lace she should not lack tiffany hawat ball and black janine and stuart his suit should back and come and go at her pleasure jet and lava silver and gold garnets emeralds rare to behold diamonds sapphires wealth untold all were hers to have and to hold enough to fill a peck measure He didn't bring all his forces on, at once but like a crafty old Don, who many a heart had fought and won, kept bidding a little higher, and every time he made his bid and what she said and all they did, t'was written down, for the good of the town, by jeems of the Daily Flyer. A coach and horses, you'd think, would buy for the Don an easy victory, but slowly our princess yielded. A diamond necklace caught her eye, but a wreath of pearls first made her sigh. She knew the worth of each maiden glance. And like young colts who curvet and prance, she led the don a deuce of a dance. In spite of the wealth he wielded, she stood such a fire of silks and laces, jewels and gold dressing cases, and ruby brooches and jets and pearls that every one of her dainty curls brought the price of a hundred common girls. Folks thought the last demented, but at last a wonderful diamond ring, an infant cohenure, did the thing, and sighing with love or something the same, what's in a name? The princess May consented. Ring, ring the bells, and bring the people to see the marrying. Let the gaunt and hungry and ragged poor throng round the great cathedral door to wonder what all the hubbub's for, and sometimes stupidly wonder, at so much sunshine and brightness which fall from the church upon the rich while the poor get all the thunder. Ring, ring, merry bells ring, O fortunate few with letters blue, good for a seat and a nearer view. Fortunate few whom I dare not name, dilettante, creme de la creme. "'We commoners stood by the street façade "'and caught a glimpse of the cavalcade. "'We saw the bride in diamond pride, "'with jeweled maidens to guard her side, Six lustrous maidens in tarlatan. "'She led the van of the caravan, "'close behind her her mother, "'dressed in gorgeous moir antique "'that told as plainly as words could speak "'she was more antique than the other. "'Leaned on the arm of Dan Rataplan, "'Santa Claus de la Muscovado, "'Signor Grandissimo Bastonado. "'Happy mortal, fortunate man!' and Marquis of El Dorado. In they swept all riches and grace, silks and satins, jewels and lace. In they swept from the dazzled sun, and soon in the church the deed was done. Three prelates stood on the chancel high, a knot that gold and silver can buy, gold and silver may yet untie, unless it is tightly fastened. What's worth doing at all's worth doing well, and the sale of a young Manhattan bell is not to be pushed or hastened. So two very reverends graced the scene, and the tall archbishop stood between, by prayer and fasting chastened. The Pope himself would come from Rome, but Garibaldi kept him at home. Happily these robe prelates thought. Their words were the power that tied the knot, but another power that love not tied, and I saw the chain round the neck of the bride, a glistening, priceless, marvellous chain, coiled with diamonds again and again, as befits a diamond wedding. Yet still t'was a chain, and I thought she knew it, and halfway long for the will to undo it, by the secret tears she was shedding. But isn't it odd to think, whenever we all go through that terrible river, whose sluggish tide alone can sever, the archbishop says, the church decree, by floating one into eternity and leaving the other alive as ever, as each wades through the ghastly stream, the satins that rustle and gems that gleam, will grow pale and heavy and sink away to the noisome river's bottom clay. And the costly bride and her maiden six will shiver upon the bank of the Styx quite as helpless as they were born, naked souls and very forlorn. the princess then must shift for herself and lay her royalty on the shelf, she and the beautiful empress yonder, whose robes are now the wild world's wonder, and even ourselves and our dear little wives, who calico wear each morn of their lives, and the sewing girls and less Chauffeurs, in rags and hunger, a gaunt array, and all the grooms of the caravan. I, even the great Don Rataplan, Santa Claus de la Moscavado, Signor Grandissimo Bastanado, that gold-encrusted fortunate man, all will land in naked equality. The lord of a ribbon principality will mourn the loss of his cordon. Nothing to eat and nothing to wear will certainly be the fashion there. Ten to one and I'll go it alone. Those most used to a rag and bone, though here on earth they labor and groan, will stand it best as they wade abreast to the other side of Jordan." end of the diamond wedding when grant's army crossed the rappahannock lee's veterans felt sure of sending it back as tattered and torn as ever it had been under the new general's numerous predecessors after the crossing the first prisoners caught by mosby were asked many questions by curious confederates what has become of your pontoon train said one such inquirer we haven't got any answered the prisoner how do you expect to get over the river when you go back oh said the yankee we are not going back Grant says that all the men he sends back can cross on a log. End of Section 55 Recording by Joe Sela.